0: Hello and welcome to Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am really excited to bring this one to you. It's pretty different than anything we've had in the past as far as the subject matter is concerned. This one's going to be all about the intersection between reality in science fiction when people project science fiction onto their own reality be it conspiracy theories or ufo sightings or uh just the nature of the universe anything like that and all of this is going to be told through a really interesting lens through music courtesy of the one and only barton Maguire. back in episode six barton Maguire stopped by and talked to me about his project the great pacific garbage vortex his solo project uh, he since moved to New Zealand and has started this new project, which he 's calling Pink Moon in barton 's own words, this project is about paranormal speculation, conspiracy theory, and historical mystery. So he told me about this project when he was visiting Seattle back in January, and it really piqued my imagination, so I asked him to come on the show uh, and the music itself is Really cool. It's really unique. He plays everything live in the room. I'm not going to describe to you what he's doing. I'll just let you hear it in the podcast, but I'll just tell you that everything he's doing is live in the room. Everything you're hearing, all of the instruments, it's all Barton all at once. He's a a one-man orchestra of sound. (laughs) Uh, I did put a little bit of reverb on the musical sections of this podcast because the songs are so ethereal. They really needed some reverb. So I did that. But besides that, it's all Barton. Uh, It's gorgeous. It's amazing. It sounds like a studio recording. It's crazy. I can't even believe that this happened right in front of me. Uh, So I'm just beyond thrilled to bring it to you. Something really, really special. Barton's wife, Val, also stopped by and chatted with us for the first bit of this show, which was fantastic. I was so glad uh, to get to have her on the show as well, because Val's such a cool person. I always love hanging out and chatting with her. She's got a really unique, distinct point of view as a a person. So having a little bit of that really enriched the episode. She couldn't stay with us the whole time, because Barton and I talked for... Uh, A little over an hour and a half, and I think Val was there for about the first half hour. But you get a taste of, a little taste of Val, and she's delicious. (laughs) That's not creepy, right? So I'm very, very excited about what's happening tonight. My friends, my panel from Sci-Fi on Trial is coming over to my place, and we are going to watch Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I have not seen this movie since the day... I saw it in the theaters when it first came out, which I think might have been on opening day or the day thereafter, something like that. I saw this movie once, I was like, fuck it, never watch it again. I was wrong. I am watching it tonight, and I am so excited. I just re-watched the original Indiana Jones trilogy, uh, culminating in The Last Crusade last night, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, and I was so pleased to see it again and to see how well it held up over time. Uh, and I'm just... Dying to see Crystal Skull. Because I remember it just being utter garbage. But uh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out tonight. And then sometime in the very near future, we're going to record our podcast for the next Sci-Fi on Trial. And I had a cool idea for the next episode. So if you've listened to uh, the first episode of Sci-Fi on Trial where we talk about The Phantom Menace... Uh, We looked at Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic to sort of get an aggregate consensus of how the film is remembered. Because the big question we're asking in Sci-Fi on Trial is, is this movie remembered fairly? So we need to have some sort of metric to determine how the movie is remembered in order to make that determination whether or not it's remembered fairly. So I had an idea for the next time. I thought it'd be really cool to get some more outside opinions from anyone who's listening to this podcast. Uh, last time, I conducted a bunch of interviews and recorded a few things of my friends talking about the specific questions that we ask of the, each film in Sci-Fi on Trial. But th- it was really complex and it was really long. So I want to simplify things a little bit. And I want to try to shorten, uh, shorten Sci-Fi on Trial. Because last one, the trial, was three episodes long. I want to try to get that down to two episodes. So for the outside content besides what's in the panel... What I'd really like to have is just little snippets from you, anyone who's listening to this podcast. uh, Just pull out your cell phone, open up your voice memo recorder, and just record me like a minute of what you think of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and that's it. Just tell me, yay or nay, is it a good or is it a bad movie? And if I get enough of these, then we might be able to kind of get an updated consensus of what people think of the film before we dive into our panel discussion, so I don't know if this is going to work or not. It's it's an idea that I had that I'd really like to try. But if you're out there and you're listening and you have something to say about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, just record it on your cell phone. Uh, email it to me. Uh, you can reach me, sci-fi at jessimercury.com, Or you can email it directly to Sci-Fi on Trial, which is uh, sci-fi on trial at gmail.com. And I'll, I'll check it out. And if you have something to say, I'll put it on the show. I'd love to include your voice. As many voices as possible which uh, I think would really add to the sort of flavor of the show. As much as I had an absolute blast interviewing a whole bunch of people for the first trial, it's just, uh, it's not going to be a sustainable thing. It took so much time. So I'm trying to simplify this. If I can get that outside material from you, I think not only is it going to be easier for me to produce, but it's going to be a better show. Uh, We can have voices from anyone who listens to the podcast from all over the place. And I think that's a much more exciting idea than just this little local circle of uh, Seattle, hippie, yuppie, liberal people that I hang out with. (laughs) So as you know, I've been having some issues with uh, the audio quality, where I had some strange background noise creep into several of my last podcasts. Uh, I did solve the problem, and I never even told you how I solved it. It's actually really interesting. Remember I talked earlier about ferrites, these little metal rings that reject radio frequency? Uh, So I was trying to use those, and they weren't quite working, and I couldn't figure out why, and I had this epiphany. It's because I was wrapping them around the cables that are coming from my microphone to my preamp, but there's also cables that go from my preamp to my audio converter, and I had to wrap those in ferrites as well. So once I wrapped up the entire signal chain in ferrites, the signal's pure. It's clean. Listen to the background noise. It's beautiful. It's nothing.
1: I love it so much.
0: But I figured that out after I recorded this podcast with Barton. So for, uh, I mean, I hesitate to say this out loud, but I do believe this will be the last podcast that has any radio interference and we will be back to smooth sailing and clean audio in the future. All right, let's do it. It's time. We're going to hear some Pink Moon, courtesy of Barton McGuire, and we'll listen to Barton and his wife Val talk to us about when science fiction intersects
1: with science fact.
0: Here we go. Does oh, a guess what to the people who aren't in the room, I'm wondering also, okay, yeah
1: <laughs> what is
0: it oh is you are he- you're here,
1: oh yeah, I yeah,
0: have... Barton's here, Barton's here and Val's here yay, so exciting I' yep. uh filled with with overjoyness we are too <laughs> um, so you guys are here, fresh from New Zealand,, mm-hmm. and you've been there for for how long
2: like four months, four and a half months, yeah, yeah. There are in August,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm so distracted by how loud the radio is in my, in my headphones. You should
2: take your headphones off because I can't hear it.
0: Well, I have to make sure it like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. we're still recording. Right. Um, anyway, so Barton, you've got this awesome new project mm-hmm. that you're working on. So tell us about it.
2: Yeah, it's a new project. I miss very much, of course, being in a band with our own Jesse Mercury here. But now that I live in New Zealand, starting writing new songs. I've been writing songs uh, with sort of a new arrangement and a new focus originally i was thinking about writing about um historical figures i was actually thinking about a couple things uh I was thinking about the sci-fi project believe it or not because i really envied your position where you're writing about things you're not like writing songs about yourself or just like conjuring lyrics out of nothing but feelings like out you're of using my butthole. right <laughs> yeah. i mean and that's fine like i've pr- I tried to do that for for years, right. um, but it, it's difficult, at least for me. Um, but you're sometimes, writing about these very concrete... Sometimes your butthole runs dry. <laughs> <laughs> you're writing about these very concrete things, uh, and that seemed great to me. Uh, and then, uh, I forget, there were was, was some other things. Oh, we had a, a friend of ours wrote this really wonderful poem about Abraham Lincoln, and that was also very concrete. And I was thinking like, wow, I should just write about really interesting people or interesting things. Um, so I started thinking about historical figures, and I, the first one I happened to pick was Amelia Earhart. So I wrote a song about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. And then, and I'll play that a little bit later. Um, But after writing that first song, I realized that I wasn't actually necessarily interested in historical figures, but writing about all of the sort of misunderstandings and conspiracy theories that came about around Earhart's disappearance were way more interesting or what that song sort of ended up being about. So then I started, instead, I shifted my focus to Unexplained phenomena, um, sort of historic mystery,
0: and conspiracies. And you said, "But well, you were describing this to me earlier today." You said the coolest thing: how conspiracy theories are the science fiction of our own history. Well,
2: their their nature is fact. Uh, their nature is fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their facts, fan fiction. Yeah. Because they really are. To me, um, I think you take. There's these basic phenomenon that we we don't understand um but there are people out there who really want there's people out there who read harry potter and they really want hermione and harry to end up together and so they write their own fiction they come up with their own version of that story um in which hermione and harry totally get it on and that's great there's other people who <laughs> who see who see who see different stories true stories like one in which um this famous aviator disappears mysteriously. Um, But it's not Harry and Hermione that they want to get together with. They want is they want to see the presence of alien life or they want to justify um, the, the theory they have about the government they mistrust. Right. And so they, they construct their own fictions through these conspiracy theories around otherwise true events. So to me, they are kind of science fiction, yeah, and that's how I justify participating in this <laughs> podcast
3: <sighs> do you uh, think that most do you think that most people who have conspiracy theories around these figures have al- like ulterior agendas most of the time, like you're saying sort of they'll they'll take an example and then come up with. Some kind of justification that's like, oh, here's proof that there are aliens. Like every every per- theorist has a different kind of thing that they're obsessed with.
2: Yeah, I think I think whether it's conscious or subconscious, I mm-hmm. think that's definitely true for a lot of people. And I think if someone looks at Earhart's disappearance as proof for of alien life, then. The chances are they were very interested. They're already UFOologist, They already have these things on their minds. And it's not necessarily that they're they mean to construct f- f- fiction.
0: Um, they're they're presupposing the outcome. Yeah. They're yeah. saying yeah. like, I want aliens to be real. I'm gonna find proof of aliens. Oh my god, this weird thing happened. That's fucking aliens. And they don't even yeah. recognize it as as if they're
2: creating fictions. They just see I, aliens I, there. Mm. Right. Um, and of course, that. I think everyone's different. Um, I mean, there are like totally professors and such who who study conspiracy theories and the mindset of people who generate them and I am not one of those people. Right. Um but but I do think I think that there's that's often the case.
0: I just read The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel yeah. because I loved the book so much and the I'm sorry I read it because I loved the movie so much and the movie and the book were widely removed from each other. The book was mostly about alien visitation where the movie was about the Mothman. They didn't even mention alien visitation. Mm-hmm, but- and in the book there's almost no mention of the Mothman at all. There's a little... I mean, of course, there is some of The Mothman, but it's mostly alien visitation and all these strange things that happen in this town in this specific time. And a lot of what he's written about has come into question, but I think what what can't be questioned is that... Well, I, I you know... What what seems likely is that something weird happened. You well, know? And then, how, like, what is it that's weird? It, it could very well be aliens, but it could also be so many other things. Mm-hmm. And to draw a conclusion without any proof is jumping the gun a little bit, but it also creates this really interesting sort of like cultural richness of story, like mm-hmm. area 51 and, mm-hmm. and all these strange things that have happened that people know about all over the country. It's really mm-hmm.
2: interesting. The Mothman's a really great example. And I researched a little bit because I've thought about doing a song about Mothman. Oh, sweet. That's a good example because unlike Earhart's disappearance, um, and unlike some other re- truly unexplained phenomena, um, Some of the things I'm interested in, especially, are actually when there is a very easy and rational explanation. Hmm. And the Mothman, people think, like, people who try to look at it very rationally think there's a really solid chance that people were seeing cranes or these large oversized owls, like some sort of bird in the swamp, and that when people saw it or perhaps shined lights on it, it was producing these red eyes just due to the glare in the the eyes of the animal, like a cat's eyes glowing, right? yeah. And then there, yeah. I guess, there's some in the area where the Mothman was seen frequently. Um, there are it's some species of like very large bird, which yeah. g- would take you by surprise in the middle of the night. And, and of course, as soon as one person comes up with this story, then it gets in other people's heads. And this is <laughs> this sort of phenomenon is totally contagious, right? And that's why that might be why so many people started having these experiences in succession, is because as soon as they heard of the first one. Once you heard of the Mothman and perhaps were frightened of the idea of it, then Then when you had your own experience, you were then less likely to see the crane or the owl and (laughs) more likely to see the Mothman. Totally. Yeah.
3: This is is like what religion is, right? Like magical thinking is contagious and (laughs) you put an idea into someone's head and then you start to see it as if it were real, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, there is an analogy, for sure, in that... um,
3: And this is why myths persist. You know, we have an attraction to stories and fictions. We prefer them over, uh, you know, truth sometimes, for whatever reason.
0: I think people need a sense of magic in their lives, because so many of us live in these sort of traps that Mm. society has built, where... You have to work to exist in the society, and it's probably something you don't like to do. Mm-hmm. You probably have to be there for most of your time, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's a trap. It's like being inside of a cage. So to get out of that cage, one of the easiest, most accessible ways is is imagination and to and to have,
3: believe there's a bigger story right to going on that, that you, you are fit sort of inside witnessing. of something yeah, yeah. greater
0: than yourself. And religion is one of the the most readily accessible ways to do that. And I, for me, I've always had music where I get that religious experience by playing music. And I really feel like I'm touching something bigger than myself when I play music. So I've never really felt like I'm the type of person who needs to have a religion. But if I didn't have that music, I would need that. I would need that sense of the sort of like divine consciousness that I get from playing music Mm. some other way. So, Mm. so I don't, I I would never fault someone for.
3: We want to be able to tap into some kind of mystery too, right? Yeah. Because that which we don't fully understand is really powerful.
0: That's Frightening and powerful. And yeah. it like causes you to. And I, I think that's a big part of religion, also, is the fear of, like, well, you're going to go to hell. So, mm-hmm. so then you're Some afraid. Religions. Yeah. Then I mean, let's. It's Christianity. <laughs> so that, like, if you if you aren't Christian, then you're going to go to hell. So then there's this fear factor, which is probably where they got the title of the show, <laughs> that you have to do it, otherwise you're going to hell. But. Um. Well, let's
2: play some music. Yeah, I'm gonna I, I'm play so my excited. first song. Uh, the first song I'm gonna play is is uh, actually another example of a situation that has a very clear and rational explanation. Like people know what happened. It's not a real mystery. Um, and yet. Uh, Since the event happened in the 1960s, and still to this day, people debate it and speculate all sorts of fantastic conclusions based on this thing. It's
3: also kind of an object.
2: Do you want to tell us what it is before we um, hear the song? Awesome. Just building it up. So the song's about the Solway Firth Spaceman, um, which is refers to a photograph that was taken in the 60s. And I'm going to pull it up right now, Jesse, so you can see
0: it.
3: And so maybe
2: you can describe a what you A figure
3: oh. in the photograph. My oh. favorite
0: thing is when we do something purely visual on the podcast. Yeah.
2: So, well, And okay, viewers so. right now can look at the,
0: you know, do Google a Google it.
2: image search for Solway Firth Spaceman. So this picture was taken. And Jesse, what does it look like to you?
0: All right. I'm looking at a young boy with a, kind of a bowl cut. And there's a man from space popping out of his head. Yeah. So, it's actually, so in the background, there's might like have a blurry. Started
3: that idea. There's a blur. I mean, it looks space. like a
0: man from space. It looks like a dude in a spacesuit behind him. It's like a blurry object behind this boy who's wearing a kickass shirt that I really, really want. <laughs> well, fashion was different in the '60s. Yeah. What you're looking it
2: at is um, It's a young. Girl, and sorry, male. A boy
3: wearing a kickass shirt, a girl. Her father
2: photographed her, and then when the photo was developed later, photographed her in a field. Or they were on a picnic or something. Uh, looked at the image later after it was developed, and saw that there was this mysterious figure behind her that he doesn't remember being there at the time that the photo was taken. Whoa! And it looks very much like a spaceman. Um, and that's what this song's about.
3: And I love how film is such a place such a role too like when you develop the film and then it's I know, like, it's a, I know there's it's this, revealed this, later yeah there's a space between taking the image and the reveal
2: mm-hmm. yeah anyway the song's called the Soul for spaceman
1: As it burst past the shutter Silver halide Collided with phenodon And dissolved into colors And behold The great surprise To learn that I I was not alone A human form Dressed in white, watching over me, its aim unknown, and it seems to move as I stare. what he offered they printed here feast your eyes an unexplainable sign of a visitant and all the world It's full of UFOs, remote intelligences.
0: amazing it's so hypnotic thanks jesse wow i really love it yeah we were setting up to record and you started making these noises and i was just like what the fuck is that it's (laughs) fucking awesome so you're playing a uh, let's talk about like the setup for a second because the sound itself is so awesome and like i've never heard anything like it and it's just such a cool thing cool um so you're playing uh you're playing a ukulele through some doodads into an amp.
2: Yeah, I got doodads. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm playing this sort of tiny, very thin tenor ukulele. It's an electric ukulele. Um, and for the most part, you know, you're hearing just my voice and the dry signal of, of the uke. Um, but then I also have this sort of big reverb chamber, which right now is just sort of a um, this wonderful reverb pedal set to a really high setting. Um but sometimes I will use sort of a variety of different pedals and different sounds to create this sort of big impossible chamber, which is always on, but for the most part I'm just sending nothing into it. And oh. then I can selectively decide when I send my ukulele in, and then it's just naturally going to ring out. So I'll sort of show you. I can just be strumming along. Where you Flip that back on Wait. for a sec. Strumming along. You got nothing. Or I could just have it on all the time, in which case it would just sound really sort of messy. Which, I mean, sounds cool and noisy. But what I can do is just only ring into it every once in a while. So if I can, you know, play a chord.
0: That's so. So, I mean, I'm watching you do it with your foot. You're just like... And you're playing very specifically on the ukulele, like holding the note out, raising it with your foot so you're not getting the strumming of the ukulele, so you're just getting this nice ringing tone. Totally.
2: That's one of the big challenges, and that's sort of tricky to do when playing. In some songs, it's easier to do than others, but but yeah, just sort of let the chord ring out, and then I can play over that. It's almost yeah.
0: as if I have sort of like a pad synthesizer sound. Wow. Um, so you're just developing this whole new like style of playing.
2: Yeah, I've been working on. It. I'm try- I'm still tweaking and improving it, finding ways to m- make it uh, more performative. Right now, yeah. my big challenge is that I have to have my foot more or less on this volume pedal all the time and so, <laughs> so the sit. last show i played i've uh, last show i played i'm pretty much no i didn't sit because i don't want to sit because you're in front of an audience you don't want to sit down right so i'm just balancing on one foot and at the end of <laughs> at the end of it like one leg is really really tired um, <laughs> you're so. gonna
0: get this like insane like ankle muscle on <laughs> yeah, the, exactly on the yeah. left foot
2: um and the other one's just gonna atrophy yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so um, i also i also love the I mean the song by itself, you could play it without any of the doodads and it would mm-hmm. still be awesome. Mm-hmm. But adding that extra element just really just sucks you into the narrative of the song in a really cool way. And I like at the towards the end okay, well let's start at the beginning. The beginning you're describing this is the first time I've ever heard this song. So what I took from it the first time, it just brought me right back to photo class when you're describing all of the chemicals. In the, the development of of photos. Yeah. So you're talking about this like weird magic thing happening inside of the chemicals, which is so cool. Yeah. Which I really love. And I'm glad you told me what it was about first, because then I could kind of pick that up.
2: Yeah, I really love that verse. And I'm glad you picked up on it, because I wasn't sure. I played the song for Val when I was first writing it, and she, she knew what I was talking about too and at first I was like do people know what chemicals are involved because I didn't really I just sort of you was like doing it, that research <laughs> yeah because I was writing a song about a photograph um, so the, cool, the way you easy.
0: said silver halide yeah like you said it like in such a cool cadence over the music mm. where uh, it, it took me a second to realize what the words were which is really interesting and really neat like uh, switch in my head that went off when I heard that I like that a lot cool does Valdesbar just spend like like all of his hours like, locked away, making noises.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every now and then he emerges from his room, his studio, uh, office space, and will be like, What do you think about this? And he'll either play some sounds or <laughs> give me lyrics, and I provide some critique. And sometimes it's helpful. I just <laughs> imagine,
0: well, like, okay. helpful. I just imagine Barton. Like wearing just boxers, completely like unshaven, yeah. covered in dirt, coming out of the basement, holds up to, holds up a picture, and it's just like scribbles. It's like, what do you think of this?
3: Yeah. And she's like, it's
0: good, Barton. It's good. And he's like, good. And he like runs back in his little it hole. Is, it is I'm funny, pretty, actually. I'm pretty
3: honest with him, though. If it's not, if it's not good, I'll be like, mm, I don't know about that. No, it's very. I
2: I value that criticism enormously. Val is always the first person to hear. New things, and there is something that I think is funny. Just reading a lot about all these different sort of conspiracy theories and ufology and all that stuff, and locking myself away (laughs) and like working, working on this, working on music like feverishly, you know, like at like four in the morning, and then you feel very connected with that state of mind.
0: Yeah, Yeah. interesting. (laughs) Um, I love the end when. So, is the answer to the riddle that it was? Her mom overexposed, yeah, in the so, background,
2: yeah, and uh, and if you look at it again here, an audience, you can and then um, once, once you again, have that go in to your, your Google head, image you can search. see her. Yeah. Um oh. yeah. So if you look at it, she's actually facing the other way. What appears to be the sort of visor of the spaceman is uh-huh. her hair. She had a bob, like a bob haircut, uh-huh. and her arm—it's actually her right arm—and it's bent in this way. Yeah, and if people sort of over uh, or. Uh, saturate that image it becomes a little easier to see but essentially i mean you know who knows what exactly happened the man who took the photograph still claims that even though his wife was there that he's certain that 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 wasn't her that she wasn't in the frame at the time but it seems very likely and pretty much you know most experts who look at this come to that same conclusion so that's you know for all intents and purposes almost certainly what happened
3: there's but- also a larger version of the image that shows the full image and other photos that were taken that day of the of the girl and the mother mm-hmm. showing them and you can kind of with that context see how oh that is probably the mom yeah
0: yeah well from what she's wearing yeah exactly
3: okay. even and then you can see oh and it's probably overexposed somehow or some weird m- mistake in the photo is there or something like that. Yeah, but yeah.
2: still, but if you... and But that's why I love this story so much is because it's a perfect example of when it it is an explained phenomenon, but people still see all sorts of, like, fantastic and exciting yeah. things in it. And if you ser- I don't know, just doing basic search for Soulway First Spaceman, you, there's articles that... I read one that just came out recently, you know, <laughs> on some, you know weird website of, you know, Solway Firth Spaceman solved. Like, I figured out what happened, and it was that, you know, the the this invisibility suits that, you know, the United States government <laughs> issues to its military, unbeknownst to the public, they work to, you know, make you invisible uh, during the same frames that our eyes will, will see, but somehow this photograph must have snapped in between the frames when the figure <laughs> is no longer invisible. It was just like, that's... And I mean, you could, you know, it is, it is kind of crazy. It's also probably just flat out plainly wrong, (laughs) but there's something else there and it
0: does, it is imagination. Um,
1: It's so
3: interesting
0: because if the dad wouldn't continue to claim that it's not the mom, there'd be no mystery. The fact that the dad is kind of saying, no, it's not the mom makes, makes the mystery happen. And I wonder if, I wonder what happened. I wonder if, so, like someone looked at and said, oh, that's just the mom. But they'd already like kind of released it and said, oh, I think this is something else. And then I wonder if at that point he can't admit that because he's already come out and saying it's a spaceman. Like, what, what's the story? Did and the men, dad say it was a men spaceman? I don't
3: like to be wrong. You know, that I,
0: is not true. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I would also like to ask the question of what does the mom think yeah so, totally so, yeah, because so. i think this is all i'm sorry to interrupt you bart no, no, i fine. think this is all quite symbolic because everyone's like this is a great mystery it must be an aliens or an invisibility cloak and like meanwhile <laughs> and like, no it's me meanwhile <laughs> the real answer is no like you just are treating your wife slash mother figure here as invisible and, oh. and like she you don't see her in the picture, but she is there. And like, but meanwhile, everyone's coming up with these like crazy theories. And I think that that sort of expresses this deeper problem we have with a lot of unsolved things or mysteries or, you know, that we look at. Maybe there was just like a woman behind all of it. You know, who's <laughs> Originally, like, nobody even thinks that that could possibly be true. That's They're actually like, that's a
0: really, you know, it's a completely different story. And, to me, yeah. just as compelling that, but it's that. like there's this woman who is invisible to the photographer. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, like,
3: in a in like a symbolic sense, and we don't yeah. know we don't know what she thinks if she's like, oh no, that's definitely me, or like, or if she's like, no, I don't think that's me. Well, we, that know would matter. we know what
2: she says now. I mean, because she she yeah. and the photographer have both. Her husband. For, yeah, her husband for her, a long time. Are they um, still together? <laughs> I actually, I don't know. I, I believe so. I also don't, I can't say with certainty that they're both still around, but mm. they, they were for at least for many, many years still together and alive after the photo, like decades and decades after that photo was taken and always maintained that they didn't know what it was and they didn't know and that it couldn't have, they didn't see anyone there. And something weird happened. So she um, didn't
3: even see herself in the image. But it's
2: it's difficult to know what they really thought. I mean, right. They because were getting it's become a lot a of media att- phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it went viral in the way that like things went viral in right. the sixties, right? Um, and it was picked up by all sorts of like newspapers and such, and became a bit of a phenomenon. And at that point, it's sort of their claim to right. fame. And, right. Uh, so now of a lot to say attention. that it's her
0: is to completely debunk right. their right. their claim to fame.
2: Right. Yeah. So. It might be a thing where they want to continue to believe that it's mysterious. I find it really hard to believe that they aren't aware or were never aware of, you know, like photograph experts who looked at it and deduced that it was her. They must have heard those theories because they've heard all sorts of theories. And they must have looked at that photograph and at least had that resonate like that that does seem possible. But, but I don't know at that point they could have been thinking of it as an unexplained phenomenon for so many years mm. that that's
3: all it's, really, it's really, it's really
2: difficult to know, but I do really like the idea that it is, it is this like, who is this figure? That's like, are there beings? Be? Are there, is there intelligent beings watching over this child as it grows? Huh. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's her mom.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah, it reminds there me There
3: is of, someone watching over her.
0: It reminds me of what I loved about the Mothman Prophecies movie, which is not even in the book at all. This I, and this is to, a very spoiler-heavy synopsis that basically there are creatures that are living in another plane of existence here mm-hmm. on earth with us mm-hmm. that we can't quite see, but sometimes people will kind of catch a glimpse of them out of the corner of their eye right. and And these creatures, the Mothmen, are actually trying to warn us of impending disaster because they experience time differently than we do. So they want to warn us that this bridge is going to collapse and they're trying to make their presence known, Mm. but people see them as these horrific demons Mm. that are coming for them and and their message is almost certainly not received. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful idea. And I'm much more likely to believe that than I'm likely to believe that, you know, that there's this bizarre winged creature that lives in the swamp that sure. is that is ha- hunting people or haunting people or whatever it is that the the mainstream version of the Mothman is doing.
3: Well, it's a very similar story to like ghosts, right? Like Mothman, yeah. that would be sort of a version of a ghost, like ghosts being trapped in limbo and they're coming back and they that's have a message true. for you. Yeah, like I they're mean, that's trying a little to more specific, you. but yeah, and and like I kind of believe in ghosts and have experienced my own, you know ghost-like things. Like what? And, what
0: happened? Tell me the whole story.
3: Uh, <laughs> um, I'll try and make it brief. I was um, working at this old house that was formerly lived in by Robert Frost, the poet, and cool. his family. Um, and he and his wife and children had kind of a dark life, actually, which not a lot of people know, but he lost like several of his children. Um, some Some of them were we mad and mentally ill. Like there's all these interesting, I think that both he and his wife, Eleanor Frost suffered f- from bouts of depression, um, things like that. So being in his home and like learning all of this was really fascinating. Um, and I was there alone one day. Uh, I was actually there alone frequently, but one particular day. Um, and I, I sort of felt like there was definitely a presence there. Like you go into a house like that, that was uh, lived in by Robert Frost. And you're like kind of hoping that like there's (laughs) something there that's like, you're going to feel like, is there a presence here? You know? And, um, I had started reading more about his wife and, um, the family. And so got sort of interested in, in her life and felt like, you know, this was probably her space and it's a domestic space. And like, she probably spent quite a bit of time there as well and felt some ownership over that space as well. Um, And it was one day that I was walking outside and kind of felt it's really bright and sunny out. And I felt like a little bit dizzy and lightheaded all of a sudden. And out of the corner of my eye, which I think, and you said this, like out of the corner of your eye is usually how a lot of people have described these experiences that you like see something in your peripheral vision. And it sort of passed on my right side from my peripheral vision around this way. And it was like a, entirely black like figure but amorphous and was like coming from behind around in this like half circle in front of me and then disappeared and I was like frozen and just felt this like rush go through me of like a chill of like she doesn't want me here whoa and it was like she's like she was like somehow telling me like this is my house don't get like too comfortable you know (laughs) And, like, because I was sort of getting cozy and, like, making myself at home and, like, making tea and cooking and, like, sitting in their couch and, you know, like, um, reading up on their lives and, like, you know, kind of getting deep into it. And um, it really freaked me out. It really freaked me out. But in a cool way, like I and and there were other people there who had experienced Not necessarily her or, and I think that's what I think it was, but I had experienced sort of feelings of that place being somewhere where the sort of veil between this life and other lives or worlds was thin so that like you, there were crossings overs, if you will. Interesting. Um, Interesting.
0: Yeah. And you do, you believe that, that it was her spirit that you encountered?
3: I believe that because that's what I felt. Yeah. And that's what like made sense to me at that time.
0: How, and how long ago was that?
3: Mm, like nine years ago. Oh, wow. And I feel like I've had other experiences, but that was the most concrete. Yeah. That was like, it wasn't just something I heard or felt. Um, It was a visual as well. So I yeah. think that sometimes it's more you, we tend to like attach more to the visual. Um, and and it was just a combination of, like, all of my senses, all five senses, you know. Wow. And, of course, a little bit of the sixth sense <laughs> there.
0: The only experience I've had like that is for all of my grandparents that have passed away,
1: mm. uh,
0: I would have dreams about them mm. after the fact that mm. felt like they were really there. Yeah. And then find out that my other family members had had similar dreams. Wow. Hmm. Uh, so, like, my, my dad, I think, and I once had... If I remember correctly, we once had a dream about my grandpa on the same night, but I'm not 100% sure if I remember that correctly. But every time I have a dream, like every time that a loved one passes away and I dream about them, it's very different than dreams I have about other people. Like there's a substance to the dream that is not usually there. And a friend of mine, her father just passed away and she started describing the same exact type of dreams about her dad to me. And uh, so there's two explanations. One is that it's your mind processing the loss of this person. That mm. is very real. Mm. The other is that maybe when you're asleep, whatever it is that, that was that person mm. is, is communicating with mm-hmm. you or, mm-hmm. you know, which I, and I, I don't know which one is true, but I choose to believe the mm-hmm. latter. Mm-hmm. I like very specifically choose to believe that, like that was my grandma or my grandpa mm-hmm. that was talking mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, one grandma, two grandpas, cause my, my second grandma mm. died before I was born. And I've had dreams like this about all three of wow, them that's where cool. it felt like very substantive where, there was felt like there was someone there.
3: I feel like all the explanations <laughs> for those things are fascinating. And like even the the neuroscientific explanations are like it doesn't invalidate any of it to me. Right. You know, like for my experience, if it was just I was like really deep in this like zone and was feeling something about that place that I didn't even who knows, like maybe my mind created that visual for me it was still something that like maybe needed to happen to me and yeah. whether or not my brain own brain created it or it was
0: or
2: objectively yeah. real. Like yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because That's I still awesome.
3: experienced it. Right. But, yeah. It was, totally. it was
2: an objectively real experience. Right. Yeah, it was an matters. experience that yeah. you
0: really had. Right. Yeah. because um, when you described it, it reminds me I have uh, ocular migraines where mm. that are painless migraines, but you see weird shit. Yeah. So they call it Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Sometimes I will have like bright flashes of light in yeah. the corners of my eyes. And what you're you were describing is like the opposite of that, like a, a dark
1: mm. thing
0: in the corner mm. of your eye. And you mentioned being lightheaded first. Yeah. And to me that sounds like an ocular migraine. Like so it could very well be totally and I've had
3: I have had a couple migraines in my life. So I could be prone to stuff like that. Um there wasn't any headache that followed or anything like that. Um so it wasn't like it was some aura that then led to something. But um Yeah, so they're totally but there still could have been that kind of an explanation for it. Right. Um
0: and the best thing is that because there's no way to prove one way or another you can cre- you create an experience yes. that you can take with you that fuels your imagination yes. and your spirit yeah, yeah. and that's why i choose yeah. to believe that it was my grandparents is because it provides me with this amazing feeling of like having touched someone that i love yes. even after they're gone and that brings me comfort in the real life who cares if it's true it doesn't matter mm-hmm. so you know? here's
3: another here's a question though what if so like my experience didn't bring me comfort or or did it, right? Like, we, ch- when, it's interesting when we choose to believe things that do not bring us comfort, we choose to believe things that bring us fear. Many, many, right? of why these do conclusions we do that? Are, why do we do that?
2: Uh, it's because that is the manifestation of your fear, right? Right, and that's what happened with Mothman, too. I mean, like, you see these things, maybe the it's your brain's suggestion. way
3: of like. Uh, helping you survive in situations like people have said, dreams are like your mind is practicing to in survival situations to get you ready (laughs) for like, if something did happen. Well, I think
2: in the same way that if someone were to warn you like very practically, like, Hey, Jesse, just so you know, I loosed a poisonous snake (laughs) here in your apartment. You did what? (laughs) (laughs) Then if you saw any number of these, cables running along the ground <laughs> you would yeah.
3: start you'd, to see snakes you'd be quite yeah. like
2: you're looking for snakes because yeah. someone right. warned you right and in the same way mm. it doesn't discredit your experience at all but you if you had just walked into that house and it was like your friend's house yeah. but it was the same house and it was forgotten you know 50 years ago that the frost family used to live yeah. there you probably wouldn't have had that experience right. but you were warned that you know not warned like that my it was the mind frost was house crept. you were told it was the fr- frost house but you right. were also like inf- functionally warned that you know some people consider it to be sure, haunted sure, sure. that these there is this dark history to it and so, and I
3: wanted to believe, but, but that sure. could go both. Exactly. But No, that exactly. could go both ways. I that could go both ways believe. because
0: what if the only way you can actually see to the other side is by wanting it?
1: Right, because that
0: opens <laughs> yes. your mind to it.
1: Yes, yes. I yes. love it. Yes. I yes. love.
2: And this is, of course, we're just participating in this whole phenomenon, <laughs> yeah. and just manifesting, you know, man- manifesting what you what you want to see mm-hmm. or what you wonder mm-hmm. about, and we yeah. start to mm-hmm. see it places. Um, I'm gonna play another song. Yeah, please do this one. It's sort of. Um,
0: Fitting in that,
3: and I think I might have to go. Oh yeah,
0: you got to pick up Jean.
3: So I might That's have fine. to cut out. Yeah. Right. Well, well cool. Val, well, before you go,
0: uh, tell us what you're doing right now in life because it's pretty awesome.
3: I am writing a PhD uh, in creative writing, so I'm going to be writing a book and um, also a thesis on photography and images in fiction. That's sort of. Oh the, really? The I've theme. never even heard that. Yeah. There's. That's so it's cool. It's a small. It's kind of a small niche. Um thing, and I like to use images and photographs in my writing uh, wow. sort of embedded or interacting with the text, so, um, and of
0: course, you're doing all of this I'm
3: in doing Wellington. this in Wellington, New Zealand, and it's pretty awesome. I have a really flexible schedule, and uh I'm getting paid to do it, which wow. is dope um, and yeah, it's really fun that's awesome and Bart came with me, and he's writing beautiful songs himself, so it's working out. Some of them yeah.
0: about photographs.
3: Some of them about Ooh, photographs. Yeah. So I'm into it. It all comes
2: together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Well, we're super sad to lose you, but I'm, I'm very excited to hear more songs. <laughs> Glad apart. I could
3: participate.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's pause for a second and cool. give you a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and we're back. All right. What, what do you got? What's next?
2: All right. So next is a, um, it sort of fits with the topic of losing people um,
0: and coping with that. Like Like you go to the mall and then you... Are hanging out with someone, and then when you leave them all, they're missing. It's kind Is of that like what you're talking that. about, <laughs> but in a cosmic
2: sense. Um, yeah, so if in the 1800s, there was this sort of infamous, infamous case, uh, in which this ship called the Mary Celeste, um, sailed out of New York, sailing to some port in Europe, um, never made it there. Another ship eventually found the Mary Celeste just floating in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, with no one on board, none of the cargo was tampered with, the ship was in relatively fine condition, and no one on it was ever seen again. Whoa, Um, that's creepy. Yeah, and it's still, it's still unexplained. Did
0: they, did they go through the Bermuda Triangle?
2: Uh, I don't think they did, but that's definitely one of the things people talk about when they speculate (laughs) about what happened to Mary Celeste. Um, so the first half of the song is, is about Mary Celeste, um... And the second one you will see is about a, a more contemporary example of, of a situation that I think is sort of similar. And it's sort of it's not as much about the conspiracy theories around it, although there are many about both of these events. But also about, in my mind, we've, we sort of feel like we've conquered the Earth as our domain, and that these sorts of things can't happen, and when they do... We look at our environment in a different way where things out of our control and out of our understanding can still actually occur. It sort of brings back a sense of awe that sometimes we don't always feel. Right.
1: The screaming of gulls, the stretched and refracted perpetual din of the port of Manhattan grew faint below the sails of Mary Celeste. A calm eastward wind had set her in motion into a horizon of unending ocean. Her crew In his wife and children, they crossed out of the world. Tia found aimlessly drifting a strange brigantine and they bore did to find just what she hid, her cargo untouched, her sails at the ready, her cabins arranged but impossible, the empty just space silence, no signs of struggle nor violence, and nobody aboard alive. act was broken, oh great horizon of unending ocean, the world's greatest minds went and they searched through their sublime lens, all the marvels of science. So could I. Uh, song. Uh,
0: <laughs> God damn, that's good. If there, so I love hearing you write songs like story storytelling style songs. Uh, yeah, you're building a you're building a whole world of story in just a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> totally it's new for me. They're essentially ballads in that respect. Yeah, um, and that is new for me. But I'm. I'm enjoying it. It is, it's tricky. And of course, like I can't really be credited with coming up with the basis of any of these stories or, or the events because, because they're all real or, or or inspired by real events.
0: Um, But you're encapsulating an event in a particular way. And
2: yeah. And, and this one was in some ways, therein
0: lies the challenge. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And this one was probably the hardest one. Thus far, to to do that because I felt um, a little intimidated and kind of responsible for representing a more recent tragedy. Right. Um, the Malaysia... Yeah, the Malaysian Airline Flight 370, and its incredible disappearance. Um, what was the... I mean, what's the latest news on that? I'm actually not sure. I know there's been some developments recently. I know there was that one... Um, the notion that rather than being some malicious action on the part of a the pilot or a passenger or even someone from the ground, there was the idea that some sort of damage had occurred mid-flight, which essentially caused autopilot to steer an incorrect course, huh. and with no one on the plane being able to alter that course. Um, that was the last thing that I had read, Um, but yeah, so, and I don't claim to be an authority on, on any of this, and that's really not the, the point anyway, to me, there's just this, um, in some ways, like we're all in disbelief that we, you know, we thought we had sort of, we thought we could control these things. And we thought we had these systems set up that would make something like this impossible. I mean, that's what people kept saying and have said time and time again, that like, We don't know how this is possible, that we have misplaced um, this airplane. How could this happen? But nature is enormous and is bigger than us and is still mysterious, despite everything that we do know about it. And there's, in some ways, a, a hubris to me in people thinking, well, how could this happen? Yeah. As if as if nothing out of our control or out of our understanding could, could come, could transpire, you know? Um, Right.
0: No, I agree. I agree completely.
2: And and to me, that's sort of what the the song is about. But, but I, uh,
0: but yeah, it was, it was tricky. The chorus mentioning, um, sea and sky. Mm -hmm. So cool. Because, (laughs) because you mentioned that in the first chorus, which is before you start singing about the Malaysian flight, and then you're singing about sea, and then you sing about sky. And then it ties it all together in the second chorus in a way that, uh, where you just, I'm like, oh yeah, that's an interesting line, like a general thought about, just to sum up the world, sea and sky. Um, But you're not. You're talking about two very specific things. One that happened on sea, and one that happened in the air. And those are especially mysterious planes, or planes. Yeah, because we we don't live in them. We We can travel through them, them. but we can't exist in them 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, according to Wikipedia, uh, I just pulled this up. Um, the latest news, despite the largest and most expansive search in aviation history, nothing was found of the aircraft until July twenty ninth, two thousand fifteen, when a piece of marine debris, later confirmed to be a flaperon, flaperon, a flaperon from Flight three seventy, was found on Reunion Island. The bulk of the aircraft, the bulk of the aircraft, has still not been located, prompting many theories about its disappearance. So. Barely anything, barely any update. Mm-hmm. They found mm-hmm. a piece of it, but the main body of the craft and like any of the people, nothing.
2: Yeah, and the thing that's so interesting about this case is that there are so many people working on it, like really brilliant minds using right. sophisticated technology. Um, and there's lots of conspiracy theories too. I mean, there's totally hacks out there just coming up with coming out of the woodwork with all sorts of ideas. Um, and in some ways... You you sort of pit those unsubstantiated theories or less substantiated theories uh, as being very contrary and less credible than the the theory that's generated by all of the hard evidence. But the thing that that just makes that just makes it very unusual and very interesting is that there is a theory generated by hard evidence and it points to a specific place, and the airplane isn't there. Yeah. Right. And so it's, and and I'm. Which isn't to say that something entirely different than what people, what experts theorizes, is, is on, is in fact the case. It's just that we don't know. It's so it's so weird and so difficult to grapple with yeah. um, that we just still all collectively don't know, um, and it's terrifying and also exciting. Um, and I don't mean that in a positive way, but just it's it's thrilling. Um, that's one of the things that attracts me to the subject matter in general because I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I don't even have the same uh, personal experiences with ghosts or with the supernatural but all of these ideas to me they're 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 thrilling in the way that
0: there's something else happening in this world that we don't understand yeah
2: totally in the the way that even fiction can be right like there's these stories and Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's really confusing.
0: yeah. I mean, my so my first thought when I heard about the Malaysian Flight Three Seventy was mm-hmm. I had just finished, I think I just finished watching Lost or Lost had ended within the last like year or two before this happened, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And then this is a story straight out of Lost, where a plane is going somewhere, and then a mysterious force pulls it to a different place, and then no one can find it because it's in a mysterious place, mm-hmm. and. uh I mean, that's like almost assuredly not what happened. What happened is probably just like an incredible tragedy and the plane went off course and landed somewhere in the water where we can't find it, and that's horrible. But assigning some sense of myth to it mm-hmm. or or imagination or otherness to it makes it a lot easier to accept and to say that maybe these, these people that are lost, these hundreds of people, are... In a magical place with like magical beings oh, or something. Totally. I mean, it just makes it so much more like that feeling of horror and like dread in the pit of your gut when you find out all these people are dead is turns to almost jealousy. Like they're experiencing something that I haven't, or at least
2: maintains a sense of hope.
0: Yeah, it, right. Yeah, totally. If
2: if we don't know what happened, then even if there's a ninety nine point nine percent chance that the plane crashed into the ocean and that there's there are no survivors you can hold on to that 0.01% chance that something else, something that we don't anticipate occurred. Yeah. Uh, And what is that? And we don't know. And does that mean that they could still be alive? Now that said, that doesn't necessarily make tragedies like this easier, especially for people who are involved, because of course it can often mean there's no sense of closure. uh, And it's, Oh, I don't know. I can't even imagine being uh,
0: yeah.
2: the loved one of someone who was What a horrible thing. Light. Oh, my God. Sup-
0: super horrible. That would be so uh, hard just to not know. Yeah.
2: Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's really... It's an amazing thing to just be alive when something like you, that happens. And that just thinking about the way that it relates to all of us and the assumptions that we make.
0: Do you yeah. think of... Uh, Do you think of death as an end or as a different adventure? Like talking about what we're talking about here, where there's this, this unknown where these, these people are gone. We don't know where they went. Maybe they're in some place that is magical or adventurous. Mm -hmm. What if, what if we think about death that way? Because we don't know what death is. What if death is this place that is magical and adventurous and we just don't know that till we get there. I like that
2: a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in some ways, death, is, of all the mysteries that we can sort of pull out of history or out of current events, death is perhaps, the, that's the big mystery. Yeah. That we really don't know what that experience is like. We don't know w- where that experience ends. Um, what do you, What I, are your
0: thoughts on it? Tell me your thoughts. What do you think happens? Well,
2: I don't have any very colorful or inspiring thoughts on it. I'm sort of a s- skeptic and... A realist. Or... Are you saying you don't
0: think we die? <laughs> I, I
2: think we die. I think we die. I think we die in that there's probably not that much that happens after death. Uh-huh. I do think that that death in and of itself is unquestionably unexperienced and an experience that no one will ever be able to tell you about, um, of course. And so I think there is still a lot that we don't understand about it and there's a lot of mystery and i do wonder what death is like i don't i don't think that there's much after it though i don't know if it's the beginning of a new adventure as much as it is just an experience perhaps a final experience but you know it's not that important what i believe and in some ways like this project for me is not so much about like trying to discover like let's look at all the different theories about about death or about a missing flight or about the spaceman picture, yeah. and like come up with, with the one that I think is true. It's more just about tell
0: the story. Enjoy.
2: There's so many stories out there. There's yeah. this like setup, this unfinished setup for so many people to to finish writing the story, and so many people have chosen to do so. And I'm just sort of taking them all in and, and just uh, enjoying them, or wondering about them, or being terrified by them. In turn, yeah, based on. Just the the ideas that people have. Yeah, you're processing
0: them through the writing of your new content. It's Mm -hmm. very, I mean, it it very much like speaks to me because this is what I do. You know, I take uh, these sci-fi stories that mean something to me, and I try to encapsulate an emotion from them in a song. You know, like Asteroid Field or Elliot, Mm -hmm. where I'm this is the way these things made me feel, and I'm trying to to talk about it in a way that is meaningful to someone else that will make someone else feel something similar to what I felt, mm-hmm. if possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, I think that sounds to me like that's what you're doing. You you feel this way about these stories and by finding just the right turn of phrase or just the right chord or just the right melody, you can tell that story in a much more meaningful way than just by telling me with your words, and just like saying it in a sentence, by putting it over song. It's just so much more powerful. I, I think so. Yeah. Play me more.
2: Cool. Well, I have one more song to share today. Um, and this one is the one I talked about earlier about Amelia Earhart. Oh, oh sweet. That's what this is. Let's see.
1: Rise in front of the vessel I pilot Oh, the night was long With the harrowing song Of unbroken radio silence You've constructed a ghost. It looks like me, but it is into my mind. Through the sea and the fog and the infinite dawn, I'm the one thing that you'll never find. I set out to navigate the world of man.
0: So It's so, uh, well, first of all, it's so strange to not see you for so long, but then to see you and then to have this whole new project um, that sounds to me very much influenced by where you've been, like having lived in New Zealand, because mm-hmm. it sounds so different from anything I've heard you play, uh, but it's still very you. I still hear, you know, like you and I have spent more time playing music together than anyone that I've ever met, mm-hmm. and I still recognize your DNA and all the music. And it's a little, it's particularly haunting for me uh, because I hear the sonic signature of your electric guitar playing from Mugatu in this setup. Like, yeah. like watching you play. I mean, in Mugatu, you would do this kind of stuff all the time where you'd have like reverb going through a, of or like a pedal that was feeding something to reverb or to delay, and then you get these weird noises. I mean, dude, it's,
2: it's the same trick, really. Yeah. It's just like, n- instead of controlling, there's all these things that, on all these reverb pedals that everyone controls, you can use an expression pedal to control the mix of the reverb or the decay yeah. time. When really, to me, it's always been varying just the input, the input gain into the reverb. Like, right. what are you sending into the tank? And then, and you can send things in selectively as you play. I'm going to send a little bit of that. I'm going to send a lot of this. Yeah. I'm going to send none of this.
0: Um, yeah. And, and, and it's and, such a cool sound, and it's something that you've like developed over years. And I, you know, when I first met you when you're in Autumn Electric, you were kind of the the guitar noise guy, like where you were just making bizarre so When I came up with sounds. that sound was, cool. yeah. was
2: for, was when playing for Autumn Electric and playing Autumn yeah. Electric songs.
0: I think the, um, the biggest difference in the time that I've known you is your singing has gotten so much better. I mean, oh your, I mean, your singing was always great, but your pitch is like really, really fucking good now. And, uh, I'd like to hope it's from singing with me for so <laughs> many years. <laughs> I think that
2: definitely helps. Yeah. Definitely I mean, it, it definitely helped.
0: improved my pitch to like the two of us. Oh, yeah. I think learn well, to listen more by listening to each other. Yeah, and
2: singing in harmony so much, it really makes you tap in to your own, to your own pitch. Yeah. But yeah, but thanks. It definitely feels like I don't really feel like I've like necessarily reinvented my own process or anything in a fundamental way. But but
1: I am, you know,
2: traveling across the Pacific Ocean a few times a year now, yeah. and I'm. <laughs> in a much more distant, remote place, and just, at least, especially in the beginning, and at least at first, just by virtue of living in a new country we didn't really know anyone, um, feeling a little more solitude. Which I think might contribute to, I don't know, a little bit of the perspective that I'm approaching these songs with.
0: Interesting. Yeah. They do sound kind of desolate in a really beautiful way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are gorgeous songs, and the just the like a uh, uh, person singing over ukulele is such a great sound yeah but I really you've love added this insane depth to it where especially in that last song where it just kind of jumps out at you in the middle it jumped you, a little more than i expected that oh, first <laughs> <time>. <laughs> oh i thought it was totally intentional because <laughs> you wanted to be striking. your voice yeah. is like rising in volume yeah. and the intensity and then boom yeah. you get hit yeah. by this crazy noise yeah and no I, that
2: is, that is the idea yeah,
0: yeah and i loved how you were kind of you were turning it up just a little bit in the second chorus mm-hmm. or second verse sorry just uh like having that sound sort of kind of just, creep in just on create, you.
2: Create a little atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, I really love I love this sound and I love that it can do all of all of those things that um it's really just one foot pedal because you know I'm already playing ukulele and singing and most of my appendages are busy. <laughs> um but you just use your penis. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's not the worst idea. <laughs> but
0: um it's also definitely not the yeah. best idea. Yeah,
2: no, not the best idea. Probably getting in some trouble. What I, would you would need at to change? You need a with,
0: venues I'd be performing at. You definitely need to have some sort of protective covering for your penis if you're going to use it to play a stringed instrument.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I... Well, this isn't the protective covering, but I did recently... I acquired, like, an accelerometer, so that rather <laughs> than... I, I don't I, know where this is going. I thought that... Well I don't know it's just there's there's opportunities I think for doing something with your penis with this technology but but originally, I was gonna instead of using my foot because that was kind of difficult, I was thinking of like strapping this accelerometer that would then send out sort of a control voltage signal to my ukulele, so then it would be about like how I positioned. The instrument, so if oh I, wow, sort of like a like a like guitar a- hero, you know, in Guitar Hero, the game. Oh yeah, you, like, you tilt, tilt up, it up, yeah. And it, you, it, I forget it does like a whammy bar, or it holds the note or like the blast power or something. I haven't played in years. Anyway, yeah. I, I thought about doing something like that, where like if I was holding the instrument more or less like parallel with oh, the ground, then we'd have no. St- it would all be dry signal, and then as I lifted it up, it would be like sending stuff into just the like reverb. a square
0: wave or something.
2: Well, or no, <laughs> just sending it. That would be the signal to the reverb to like oh, to do its thing. instead of your foot. Yeah, so that I could like walk around and be a little more performative what and not be bound to one place. Yeah, the 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 tool that I was using to do it was a little bit just a little bit rough. Like I wasn't getting the res- perfectly responsive nature as if I was huh. actually just controlling it directly with my foot. Anyway, it's I'm still tweaking. it, still have some ideas to try to to make it, but it does sort of feel like I'm trying to play a third instrument in its own way underneath or as part of all these songs.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been kind of thinking about something similar as I've been getting more and more into performing with the synthesizer Mm -hmm. where my filter is another instrument as I control the filter. Yeah. You're the one who taught me all this stuff. You turned me on to all this. Filters are where it's at. Yeah, totally. The Um, other cool thing to hear that's so different is that uh, all the, in our band together, well, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording the podcast, but in our band together, it was a reaction against wanting to write lyrics. It was, you know, harmonized yelling. There were no lyrics. Yeah. and That's it, the ta-
2: newest part of, of this for me. Yeah, tell me, totally tell me about that. This totally the first project that I've ever had where the lyrical content is really a very important and potentially even the most important part of it. Um, I always... You know, I would be putting words to my songs, but I've always felt very inspired. It wasn't for lack of inspiration, because I was always very, very inspired to create music, and I would love the music that I created, and I would. um, I felt really, really strongly about it, and had no trouble sort of writing music, whether it was good or bad, you know, who knows, it's sort of besides the point, but I was moved to create it, and never really moved to write lyrics. I always felt it as almost like an obligation. I was frustrated (laughs) that in order for people to sort of receive the songs that I was writing well, that they need. I mean, I would come up with melodies to them. I'd love to sing them, but that I would have to come up with some words. I didn't really have anything to say in terms of words. I just had lots of things to, lots of sounds to make. Um, (laughs) And then, and that's one of the reasons why when we started Mugatu, and it was such a wonderful thing is we just decided to just drop the obligation of needing, needing words at all. And we use them every once in a while, of course, but for the most part, we were just, Singing, singing all we wanted, but creating music, and it wasn't about words, it was just a just about that you know that the energy and the moment and the sound, yeah, and uh and of course, there's plenty of music you can create that's that also has no words, I mean, there's lots of instrumental music and entire genres of music and classical and electronic music, which often don't have any any vocals or any vocals with words, but at the same time, I am a songwriter and like I like writing weird experimental electronic music. I like writing fast, you know, Mugatu, you know, punky music. But I, also, I want to write sort of like delicate singer songwriter, singer songwriter style material. Style, yeah. You know, like I, I, I feel that stuff, and I want to write it. And it was always the worst. It was so intimidating to try to write lyrics. And realizing that I could reach outside of myself and my own experiences and focus on um, just taking a different subject other than me. Like, if this project isn't about me. It's not about, it's not songs about me. And of course, like, unquestionably, it is my own interpretation of all these events outside of myself. But, right. Um, but <laughs> it seems so obvious, and yet, like, took me a lot of, you know, many years to really realize that, oh, I can just... Find different subject matter that I am really interested in that I feel Mm -hmm. really strongly about or that when I read about or learn about like makes me feel emotions. Yeah. Well, that's a great subject for a song for a song too. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I can't believe it took me so long, but for some reason it's totally changed the way that I approach writing lyrics to songs. That's awesome. I love it so
0: much. Yeah. a very similar thing happened to me and it's funny. I get, uh, so I just spent some time with my family over the holidays and we talk about this sometimes where my old music was very personal, very much about me. And my new music is very, um, it's either about science fiction or it's like sci-fi stories that I'm writing to try to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's through the lens of a particular topic. And my parents don't think that it's as personal and or maybe I, or maybe they don't connect to it as much as they connected to my older stuff. Cause my, and it frustrates me because my older stuff to me is very much like diary entries Mm -hmm. and I feel like you can only connect to it if you know me and totally, whereas what I'm doing now is more universal and I'm, and you're doing something so similar. You're singing about the universal understanding of the world around us. uh, And the way that I think so. yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I connect to that because you know, you're, you're giving me a story that I know you're giving me a jumping off point to connect to you with and then go along for the ride. And I think that's really cool and really powerful.
2: I am glad you feel that way, because that is definitely one of the reasons why I think it's compelling subject matters, because these are what has to be. I mean, these are all events that people true, like many people obsess over them. Yeah. Um, Like people are, it captivates and they captivate and compel people in all sorts of different ways, um, in ways that are not always productive or or healthy? Healthy. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the word I was looking for. Um and for many people it is healthy. There's just a healthy interest, but there's something like really powerful about these unexplained phenomena.
0: There's a sadness involved in all of this because in so many of these phenomena people were lost.
2: Yeah, it's actually something that I've been um I thought about a lot and and that's one of the reasons why I really love the Solway Fith Spaceman song is because it's a little <laughs> different. nothing bad yeah. happened. It's right. just like this sort of fluke event that people experienced something that they didn't expect and they and they read into it um, and and just in all the research I've been doing because now I'm always on the lookout for new for new subjects of songs, and a lot of unexplained phenomenon are really tragic ones and for the most part i've I've been trying to avoid ones that are exclusively tragic, like to, there's a lot of them, like we don't know who the Zodiac killer was, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of situations like that, like crimes that were committed that we don't know who the, who the perpetrator was, or in some cases don't know who the victim was. And to me, or, you know, the, the Lindbergh baby, like Charles Lindbergh's child being kidnapped and never found again. Like, I don't really know. There's certainly a lot of, there's a lot of unknown there and that we don't know what, what happened. But it's just—it's sad, uh, and yeah. you know—it's—it's it's just sad that to me it doesn't necessarily have the same sort of.
0: There's no sense like, of thrilling mystery yeah, they're, involved.
2: They're, yeah, it's—it's not—it's not mystery and wonder. It's just like, well, someone kidnapped that poor child, and we just don't know who did it, and yeah. that is awful. Yeah. Um, and of course, some of these other events—I mean, like Amelia Earhart and uh, and the other fellow flying the plane. With her, probably, died at sea that day, and that is sad. Um, but there is a much greater sense of wonder and possibility that people yeah. have seen in it. Um,
0: oh, I mean, because it's a woman trying to fly around the world for the first time. That's fucking incredible. Yeah, and the fact that no one knows where they ended up. The first time someone tried to fly around the world. And then vanish, oh mm-hmm. my god, this just the I feel t- chills just even talking about it because yeah, it's it, such a magical that a magic not not like magical, and like the oh, this is like fun magic, it's just like the in the history of our world, the fact that that happened is incredible, yeah, because it's an incredible event, and in some ways, while it is sad, it was
2: a feat that humans didn't hadn't accomplished yet, right and the idea that it might end in death was very real
0: and was right. totally part of it totally. for everyone involved. And she um, died doing the thing that she wanted to do more than anything else. Yeah, and, um, and so that's, she, and she she still, died a true Klingon death. Yeah, you know? and she
2: still accomplished so much and became yeah. an icon. Totally, that is uh, appreciated by so many people yeah. and inspires so many people today. So, so very so sad,
0: but also like there's so much more to consider in that. And there there is like, something in that story to write about yeah. that feels magical.
2: Yeah, but still, and and a lot of the same things can be said um, of the disappearance of the passengers of Mary Celeste and the disappearance of flight MH370. Um, and, but to me, it's just so, I mean, like, it, you know, a child disappearing or an unknown yeah. murderer, like, it's that just no, seems no very fun. possible. Yeah. yeah, It's it's just, it's just... It's sad, and the disappearance of those vessels and their passengers is very sad too, but the incredible weight and profundity of its disappearance and of the yeah. fact that it's so big and yet unexplained, I think to me there's there's a lot to think about yeah. um, in a different way. But all that said, I am still definitely gravitated towards f- trying, I'm always on the lookout for new subjects that aren't, sad yeah and uh and i don't know if i'll we'll end up writing a a song about it but but i hope to try soon but we were talking before about the wow signal um oh, yeah. being the first and potentially only case thus far in which humans have heard a signal coming over a satellite that doesn't seem like it could be explained by um celestial phenomenon that we're aware of that might look like what uh a signal from another source of intelligence life would behave like, um, and no one's ever really been able to explain what happened there. And to me, that's a, that's another one that I really I really love to think about, yeah. and fortunately, is not tragic.
0: Right. Um, Tell the whole story because you, you told me before we started rolling, but it, I'd never heard this before.
2: I, I don't besides
0: contact. I don't know <laughs> that. Yeah, I don't know that much about it. I've only
2: sort of looked into it in a superficial way. But my understanding is that like 30 or 40 years ago, um, I think it was at Ohio state or university of Ohio. There, there was some, uh, like observatory where they had the big ear radio telescope and they were specifically listening for, um, a type of signal that might indicate the presence of intelligent life. Like they, they, they were, They were very much looking for that. I think they were searching for signals that contained a specific frequency that because some sort of isotope decays at that frequency or something like that would be a sensible choice to transmit um, messages via. And for the most part, like, heard nothing, nothing, nothing. And then it's just like a minute and a half or two minutes, um, one night uh, a signal came through that just like perfectly fit that perfectly fit that what that form that they anticipated an intelligent signal or a signal with an intelligent source would look like and and then went away and the person huh. who was sort of reading the printout at the time circled it and wrote wow next to it and that's why it's called the wow signal um and And people take it seriously. I mean, it's not some sort of, like, UFOologist thing, although UFOologists certainly have gravitated towards it. I mean, they see a lot of things in it. But um, still, to this day, I mean, like, like real astronomers, real scientists uh, try to explain what happened. And for the most part, there's no, like, widely accepted theory. Um, It doesn't seem like any sort of atmospheric distortion or doesn't seem like a solar flare or any of the things that that people have um suggested as possible alternatives to um intelligent it being an intelligent sign of intelligent life at the same time we certainly also haven't proven that there is intelligent life or observed that in any direct way so so just people still don't know but it's really fascinating
0: yeah yeah totally I mean, I'm one of those people where I feel like intelligent life has to be out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. This the universe is so vast that the idea that we're the only one seems ludicrous to me.
2: Yeah, I I feel the same way. Um, now, whether or not we'll ever find right. intelligent life within you know the period of time that humans exist, we may never. Yeah. But um, but it does seem like the odds are in favor of some form of intelligent life yeah. existing.
0: You know, what's interesting to think about is that you look at like climate change and what's happened because of our technological society sort of polluting the environment and the possibility that it could actually cause some sort of apocalyptic event. Mm-hmm. I, wonder, I wonder if that's sort of true of technological societies. Like maybe the idea of all these spacefaring societies who have progressed to the point where they're like traveling the stars, Star Trek style maybe the odds of getting to that point are incredibly low. Maybe the odds of progressing to this that sort of technological achievement also come with some sort of, you know, byproduct that inherently destroys your own planet. So maybe there's a lot of planets out there that are to get to a similar level of technological achievement and then destroy themselves accidentally. And they're not just flying around in space. They're just stuck in their solar system.
2: That's that's interesting. Um, There is an important sort of paradox or it's like a, a question and has a name. And I wish I remembered what it was off <laughs> the top of my head, but essentially people frame discussions like this using it. And it essentially suggests that um, there's an insane number of stars out there an insane number of of galaxies and stars and potential locations that could be viable for life. That even if we, give any given solar system like a minute chance of having the ability to host life like human life and even if we give any one that does have the ability to host life a very very minute chance of actually having some sort of like process of like having had evolution that yields it um yeah so that's like my new odds within my new odds but just the sheer quantity of of stars and of planets means that we would still have lots of sources of real intelligent life throughout the universe <laughs> wow. and but then the question is if that is true why haven't we seen it yeah right like where if there is intelligent life out there where is everybody where are they and that seems to be this question that a lot of people grapple with yeah. but the solution you sort of just provided a potential solution which is simply that if we Maybe in general, if intelligent civilizations advance to the point where they might be able to begin to travel or to show themselves or reveal themselves or communicate with um, a, another distant source of life, like our own here on, on Earth, maybe they've already destroyed themselves because that <laughs> is just a <laughs> pattern that's going to perpetuate and going to,
0: yeah. going to r- repeat. What a I, that's a very thought. bleak. Such a sad thought. Yeah, it's it's a very sad thought. There's not outside the realm of possibility, but very sad.
2: No, yeah, it's it's definitely that's a bleak perspective. Um but but provides an answer to that yeah. to that question.
0: I also choose to believe that with the variety in the universe, just the fact that we are on that brink mm-hmm. doesn't mean that every, every every civilization would reach that brink. Yeah, definitely that's not.
2: something that I've heard people talk about where there's sort of this assumption that we're all we and any other hypothetical intelligent civilizations out there are going to be at like around the same point where I heard, I heard one theory, very
0: egotistical. Yeah.
2: I heard one theory that, um, this is bleak in its own way, but, uh, it involves the concept of the, the technological singularity. And some people theorize that within, you know, certain amount of time we're going to our own technology is going to advance to the point where uh, artificial intelligence is going to be able to replicate and improve upon itself which would lead to an intelligence explosion which will lead to unknowable consequences for what life on earth is like including the possibility that we have uh, essentially like you know robots take over something like that or like artificial intelligence essentially replaces and wipes out organic intelligence um and if that is sort of a logical and unavoidable conclusion that an intelligent civilization will reach that point then it stands to reason that however long there is sort of intelligent organic life on a planet it will take you know a few you know hundreds of thousands or millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of years to hit the sing- to reach the singularity but then once you reach the singularity there's a much greater, much, much greater span of time afterwards at which the civilization has already been taken over by artificially intelligent life. And thus, assuming that, you know, other forms of intelligent life that may, or other intelligent civilizations out there in the universe would be more likely to have already reached the singularity than not. You know what I mean? In the same way, like, if you run into a person, they're, more likely to be an adult than a child simply because so like if someone's
0: made it through the stars. They're more likely to have crossed that threshold.
2: It, yeah. It's just like any given individual, you spend yeah. more time of your life as uh, an adult than as a child. Most people, um, if because you're lucky. childhood, yeah. yeah, if you're lucky because childhood is just a relatively short phase. Absolutely. Um, and so if you're s- lucky, <laughs> and so, in the same way, organic, you know, an intelligent civilization, uh, that involves exclusively organic intelligence. Yeah might be a relatively short phase in the, in yeah. in the young
0: that's the adolescence life. of that's the adolescence society. of an intelligent civilization of a, of an and then civil, like, yeah, totally. once
2: it's fully matured it reaches this point that is the yeah. singular, that is the proposed theory of a singularity and then afterwards it's the bar mitzvah much...
0: of yeah. of an intelligent <laughs> <you go>. society <laughs> exactly yeah. so
2: I, yeah, that's another theory i've heard it's, which is really s- sort of terrifying and
0: very interesting. And,
2: but very interesting, yeah. But
0: I think that this whole... People talk about this a lot, the idea that artificial intelligence is going to wipe us out. I think that's also full of a lot of hubris because we're looking at everything through the point of view of what we know, and we don't know what it would be like for an artificial intelligence to gain consciousness. We also assume the the ability of humanity to create something that is better than itself, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I believe, because the intricacies, the complexities of nature are so, so complex in a way that we have only been able to scratch the surface of. Mm -hmm. There's so much in nature that we can't explain or describe that has a scientific reason behind that we just haven't figured out yet. So to say that we could create life, I mean, that is very egotistical to say that we could create something that would operate on the same plain or even above that of humanity. Because just because you've created the intelligence doesn't mean you've created an uh, something that can function on its own as a sentient creature.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's true. Well, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. On, on, on your first point, I believe that if our civilization ever reaches the singularity, that it does not necessarily mean that we're going to be wiped out by by robots and the matrix is going to happen. Um, Skynet. I think, yeah, I think it, it really is like the best thing I think we can come up with is that it will likely have unknowable, yeah. but profound effects on life as we know it. I'm
0: into that. Yeah. I like and, that. And,
2: and, and like one profound effect would be ending it, but like right. that's just one of a great many right. things. And we, and we just don't know. We can't, it's difficult to even imagine what would happen. Um, As far as our ability, the hubris and the notion that we'd be able to create an artificial intelligence that would bring about the singularity, I mean, it doesn't have to be better than us. And even, like, what is better than us? Like, so far, survival on Earth is really just a matter of survival of the fittest. You could see a fruit fly as being just as evolved as a human being in that it has adapted and currently exists in, like, great numbers. Um Really, all, all the singularity would have, would take would be an intelligence that doesn't have to be greater. It doesn't even have to be comparable in the sense that it would be similar to our own. It, But if it can improve on itself, if it can r- yeah. improve on its own design, that initial design could be relatively primitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But given the ability to improve on itself, then theoretically it could improve at a rapid rate, much more rapid than we um, And could. so then it would exceed yeah. its initial that makes sense design to totally like very very quickly. So totally. that's sort of the idea, but yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have to be better than us cuz what is a better? What is a good or a bad? Yeah. Like form of intelligence.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I I don't know what I'm thinking of when I say better than us.
2: No, but it's I think I well, think I'm
0: thinking of the just the the complexities of a human body when mm-hmm. Like not even the intelligence, but just like the mechanical function of a human body—the way that it grows, the the fact that it grows and changes and evolves and ages—and I mean, you look at a baby and you look at a twenty-five-year-old person, and they're quite different looking. Yeah. Like, like we to because I you know when I think of a uh, intelligent life that is artificial, I wonder if maybe that's where it could go, like to uh, some sort of body that could grow in a way that we don't understand because it's something that's outside of our frame of reference. And I think, that I, I don't know. I, I, I imagine this future in which we've crossed the singularity and there are growing AIs, but then there's humans or biological creatures and maybe they breed and intermix together. Mm-hmm. And then we get some hybrid of something, you know, I don't know. There's like so many possibilities out there that are unknowable at this point. Maybe we'll get to find out. That would be pretty cool.
2: It's amazing, actually, when you look at people who are really, uh, like, their real passion is the singularity, and they try to understand and anticipate it's coming to being. I mean, there's plenty of people who think it's never going to happen, but a lot of them think it will happen... In our lifetime? In our lifetime. Wow. I mean, I think, like, like Ray Kurzweil has... I mean, he's perhaps popularized the, the concept more than anyone else, and I forget exactly where he puts the date but he has like very specific predictions about when this is going to happen wow and they're not that far off
0: wow um it's so funny i just watched uh terminator uh genesis a Mm -hmm. couple days ago because i was sick and i had some time and (laughs) have you seen it no uh
2: wait which one is that the newest terminator oh no i haven't seen it. the one
0: that just came out with amelia clark as sarah connor and it's gotten pretty terrible reviews Mm -hmm. and it was by no means a good movie, but it was, I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. Uh, And the idea of Skynet is kind of the ultimate evil computer Mm -hmm. from the future who just, it's only goal is to wipe out humanity. And I think that what this movie lacked that T2 or the original Terminator had was that Skynet is unemotionally just logically trying to wipe us out because we are an annoyance because you know, it assumes that it is the ultimate form of life, and everything needs to be you know structured, and humans are incredibly unstructured, so it just needs to wipe us out. whereas in this movie, I felt like Skynet was almost arch in its villainy, where mm. it really uh it seemed to have like a palpable hatred of humanity in a way that seemed out of character with the films thus far, and that's the only thing that kind of took this movie outside of that terminator world for me but but that in and of itself was a really interesting idea because uh you know looking at this movie outside of the terminator franchise it was really put forth some interesting ideas that this computer that we create will grow to physically hate us in the way that kind of agent smith hates us in the matrix
1: Mm, that's interesting
0: and really wants to destroy us out of malice more than any sort of uh sense of logic
2: but it does seem yeah i mean those are all sort of interesting yeah
0: that seems way uh, less likely positions. to be.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I do. I think there is something like really compelling or especially in, intriguing or frightening about the Skynet that is either unemotional or if there are emotions, they're ones that we don't recognize. Yeah. Because if there is a different form of intelligence, even if it's one that we create, it might not be so symmetrical to our own. Totally. It might be. Just as intelligent or more intelligent or a little less intelligent, but it also might just be very, very different. Right. And I think the same totally holds for us if we were to ever find other sources of intelligent life in the universe, sources that we didn't create that might not be artificial that intelligence could just be very, very different. And so I think that's another answer to that question of, you know, if there's lots of intelligence out there, where is everybody? I mean, they could be sending us signals right now, (laughs) like in a very specific way, looking at us through telescopes, being like, Hey, look over here. But
0: they're a mothman. They're
2: trying to get our attention. (laughs) We we might not recognize those signals. And so we just don't even perceive them. Um, that's awesome. Well, I feel like yeah.
0: that's a that's a good spot to to wrap it up. Yeah. I have one really important question for you, though. Yeah, shoot. Do you want to play some pinball right now? Let's play some pinball. We'll play some fucking pinball. T- All right, sold. All right, sold. <laughs> that's gonna do it for this week I love you all so much thank you for listening I wanted to say thank you in particular to Emily Burney who's been listening since episode one and uh, I just ran into her playing pinball actually at John John's the other night and she had some wonderful things to say about the show it means so much to me every time I talk to someone where the show has you know uh, impacted them in some way in any way it's just it keeps me going it makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile uh, cause I, I think this is really special and I'm just so into it and I just, I love it so much and it's a, it's a very different journey if I go on it by myself than it would be without all of you out there listening and the audience is, uh, it's trickling larger. It's, it's gotten a little bit bigger in the last couple weeks. That's so exciting. I love that so much and I hope that continues to grow. If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. That means a lot to me as well. Leave us a positive review on iTunes. Uh, send me an email, sci-fi at jessemercury.com if there's any comments you want to make, or if you want me to share something on the show to the rest of the sci-fi fans out there. Or hit me up on Twitter at Sci-Fi Project. Uh, until next time, I'll miss you terribly. Have a wonderful, crazy, magical time out there in the universe.